Good morning. Please turn to Genesis chapter 39. So we're here in the life of Joseph, where Joseph is now a slave, slave for Potiphar. Then he's going to end up in prison. How old is Joseph right here? 17. How long is Joseph going to spend as a slave and then in prison? How long of a, of a time is Joseph going to spend of his life here? Long time. Ten, about 10 years. Look at um, chapter 37. Look at chapter 37, I believe is verse 2. It says, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Then we have that account there. And then he's still 17 years old when he's sold into slavery. And look at chapter 41. In chapter 41 and verse 46, it says Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So the whole time that he was a slave and then in prison was 13 years. 13 years of Joseph's life. It's a long time. <clears throat> We're going to read chapter 39. And I want us to notice there's a phrase that comes up in this chapter. It comes up towards the beginning of it twice. And then towards the end of it, twice. And it is the point of this chapter. When we look at this time of Joseph's life, we think this is a this is a difficult time, and it is. He's a slave, and then he's going to end up a, a prisoner. A very difficult time. But I don't believe that's what the Lord wants us to take from this time of Joseph's life. I don't think this is a time where Joseph is 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 going to be a slave and in prison, and and that's all we need to understand about this time. When it comes to this phrase popping up four times throughout this chapter, the phrase is, the Lord was with Joseph. That's what the Lord wants us to see. In Joseph's most difficult time of his life, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And that's what we need to remember about this time in his life. That phrase comes up in verses 2 and then 3. Verses 2 and verse 3. And then it comes up at the end of the chapter in verses 21 and verse 23. So let's read Genesis 39. <clears throat> now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. There's the first time. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in, the, in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. 
He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his, until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with him. There it is again. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the, of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So there are three areas that I want us to look at in this chapter, three areas of of Joseph's character that I want us to get from this chapter. First is going to be Joseph's work ethic. Second is going to be Joseph's sexual purity. And third is going to be Joseph's overall personal holiness. Godliness in Joseph's life showed itself in his work. And godliness in any person's life will show itself in his or her work. So we see this in the first part of this chapter. In verse 2, we see that Joseph was a successful man. Then in verse 3, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And then in verse 4, it says Joseph found favor in, in Potiphar's sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he did and all that he had he put under his authority. So, so Joseph is growing in authority. He's getting more and more areas of responsibility and he's, he's doing well in them and, and Potiphar is giving him more areas of responsibility until he's, until Joseph's in charge of everything that Potiphar has. Then verses five and six say that from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Joseph made things so easy for Potiphar that he concerned himself with with none of his stuff, with nothing that was his. All he concerned himself was what was the bread that he ate. So what do I mean that Joseph had a good work ethic? Joseph's good work. Well, I mean that Joseph wasn't lazy. Joseph was productive. He was... He was physically and mentally product, productive. Of course, we know he was physically productive. That's what a, what a slave did. The servants outside took care of the field. They, they took care of the crops. The servants on the inside took care of the, took care of the home. They did whatever needed to be done. So Joseph wasn't lazy. He was productive when it came to hard work, good work. But also, he was productive. He was a good worker when it came to mental work. Joseph wasn't speaking Hebrew to his master. He had to learn the Egyptian language that his master spoke. So Joseph learned a language there. And I believe the more that he moved up, the more that he had to be responsible for the other slaves, he he would have learned their language. They weren't all Egyptian slaves. Joseph wasn't an Egyptian slave. He spoke Hebrew. So this servant, I'm sure he had many slaves. He was very wealthy. He had many slaves underneath him. There would have been other languages that Joseph would have had to have at least a basic understanding of them in order to, in order to manage them well, in order to supervise, supervise them well. So he wasn't lazy when it came to hard work, when it came to physical work. He wasn't lazy when it came to hard mental work. Joseph having a good work ethic means that he wasn't incompetent. Whatever duties he needed to do for his manager, he was competent to, to figure them out. And to accomplish them, Joseph wasn't untrustworthy. He was faithful. His manager or his his owner could trust him with whatever he needed to do. 
Joseph wasn't unruly. You may know some unruly people, maybe in, in your line of work, those that are difficult, those who are always bucking heads with, with the boss, probably. And, 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 and they just wanna, they just wanna pick at him. They just wanna make things difficult for him. Well, that's, that shouldn't be a Christian, right? And that's not the way Joseph was. He, he made things so easy for his boss that his boss didn't even have to work, worry about anything, but what does it say? The bread that he ate. That's all he had to concern himself with. Yeah, there, there's an attitude among people who are under an employee. When we look at slaves in, in the Bible, we can take from that how we are to be as employees, how we are to be underneath an authority, or if you have employees under you, how you should treat the masters, how you should treat those who are under you. But there, there's a, an idea among people that work, that they'll look at those above them and they'll think, I'm doing all the hard work, why does he make so much money? Or, or why does he get all the notoriety? Why, why is he the boss when, when I should be? But that wasn't Joseph's attitude. That wasn't. His attitude was to do what he needed to do and to do it so well to where Potiphar, who was above him, only had to care about what he ate. And, and that's a good Christian attitude for, for us as well to take from this. Joseph's good work ethic. And he kept moving up until he was in charge of everything that, that his master had. If we want to be godly, it will be seen in our work. And that goes for us men, us women, children. When it comes to when we're outside on the job, when we're at school, when we're at home, we must be productive, we must be hardworking, we must be productive in whatever areas the Lord has given to us to do. We see that throughout the scriptures. I'll just read some of them. The scriptures say on, on work for the Christian, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her, her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. The Bible says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Sometimes we need to just stop talking and start working. Let him who stole steal, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. If anyone who does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So the Lord wants us to be productive. He wants us to work. He doesn't want us to have to be dependent upon other people. He wants us to work so that we can provide for our loved ones, for ourselves, for our loved ones, and also for the work of the ministry, and also for the needy. We see that throughout the scriptures. Provide for the work of the ministry. Provide for the needy. Care for the needy. And it's not always, and it's not our business to find out why the needy got there. It's our business to care for them as we are able to help. Help others in times of need. That's the first area of, of godliness that we see in Joseph's life. His work ethic. Second is going to be sexual purity. Sexual purity. And where did Joseph's problem begin in the area of sexual purity? I would say it began with his looks. It began with his good looks. That made him a prime target for Potiphar's wife. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was handsome and he was strong. Prime target. And, and it's, it's interesting that the very thing that made Joseph a target for Potiphar and made things very difficult to him in the area of sexual sin while he was working, a target for Potiphar's wife, and made things difficult for him when he was working for Potiphar was what the world esteems so highly, what the world only cares about, how we look to one another, that we're attractive, that people like us, that we look good. That's what the world is all about. Turn on, turn on TV, turn on the news. But if we're Christians, then maybe we need to reevaluate our priorities here. Maybe we shouldn't focus so much upon how I look to others, that I'm attractive or that I'm not as attractive as I wish I was. We know the, the verse in the Bible that says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is 
profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that end of that which is to come. So bodily exercise profits a little. The outward, the body that God has given you to steward over, you're responsible for that body. You don't want to make it look ugly, right? But you don't want to give all of your energy to making it look good. You don't want to spend all the time in the mirror. It profits little. There's importance there. But godliness is profitable for all things because it has to do with this life and then also the life which is to come. The Christian should put more attention and more time upon the inward person rather than the outward person. We're to work more on our spiritual self than on the physical. And then look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. So, so Joseph wasn't the first person that was tempted here. The first person who was tempted was, was Potiphar's wife. She was tempted with all the slaves that were around her, all the slaves that worked for her husband, who were probably partially clothed. And I'm sure Joseph wasn't the only one that was attractive there. So she was tempted, and because she had no desire to honor the Lord, she had no desire to, to, to love God and to serve God, it says she cast longing eyes upon Joseph. And here we need to be careful. We need to be careful with whatever temptation we place before our spouses. Christian, you, you may have no problem seeing another man without a shirt. But what about your wife being tempted? Women, you may have no problem watching a show that has women who are dressed immodestly. But what about your husband? We're to care for the temptation that our spouses endure and we're to not put them through as much temptation as, as long as we can, we can prevent it. But Potiphar's wife, she, she had no concern. She cast longing eyes upon Joseph. And th- this is where the battle is with the Christian. Of course, she didn't care, right? But this is where the battle is with the Christian. The things we look at. The things we allow to enter into our, into our mind and into, into our heart. The battle is right there. As we feel the lust raging in our heart and we know we are sinning against the Lord. That is where we need to repent. That is where we need to guard our eyes. That is where we need to not look at those things. The fight is right there. The Christian must guard his eyes. We have in the scriptures many accounts of people falling into sin and it happened because they didn't guard their eyes. They didn't watch what they were looking at. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to her eyes, pleasant to the eyes, that's where he sinned. And that wasn't sexual sin. But it was a temptation, and she looked upon the fruit, and she desired it, rather than repenting at that moment. Rather than realizing, this is something I should not be doing. She gave in to her lust, and she took and she ate. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Then Lot chose Sodom, and he went to go live on the outskirts of Sodom, and then he eventually made his way to live inside Sodom. Remember, his uncle gave him the choice of where he wanted to live. And he looked and, and he, he looked around and he saw Sodom. It was well watered. It was beautiful. It was lush. It looked like a great place to live. But the problem was there were wicked men there. And once he realized that, that's when he should have realized this place ain't all that great to live. And we know he, he lost his family. He, he barely escaped from Sodom alive. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Again, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Beautiful to look upon. And that's where David should have repented. And that's where he should have, I mean, when you read the the chapter, he wasn't even at war when it says it's when the kings go to war. So he was already in a spiritual state that wasn't good for him. And then the temptation comes upon him when he's not in a strong spiritual state. And what does he do? Commits adultery, commits murder. But it began when he saw. And dear Christians, the scriptures show us this for a reason. The Lord shows us this for a reason. Guard your eyes. That's where the battle is. 
If you're struggling with pornography, the battle is with the eyes. Stop looking at it and, and, and you'll find you'll be stronger in that area. The battle is with the eyes. The eyes will, will feed the temptation. Don't feed the fire. Don't feed the temptation. We see this throughout the scriptures for a reason. Guard your eyes. Turn away. Protect what you allow into your heart. Protect what you allow into your soul. The devil can't make you sin. You, you, you are free. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God in your life. He can't force you to sin. Sure, there are some things that come upon you and, 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 and you need to repent for those things. But in the area where the temptation is raging, where the temptation is in the mind, that's where you guard your eyes. That's where you need to go to the Lord in prayer. Guard your eyes. Think of, I think of a man in the Old Testament. Achan, because of his sin, what happened? He lost his life. He lost his whole family. His whole family was stoned because the the Israelites wanted to remain pure for the Lord. The Lord told them to stone all of Achan's family. Again, this wasn't sexual sin, but this was a temptation for Achan, and he gave in to the temptation. Achan tells what happened. This is sad. It was right before he was stoned. He tells what happened. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, Achan told, I believe it was Joshua at the time. He told him, when I saw among the spoils, there it is again, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. He saw, then he coveted, but he didn't repent, so he took them. The battle must be won with the eyes. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? The psalmist said, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Repentance must precede revival. Last year we prayed for revival a lot. And, 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 and I'm sure many of us are still continuing to pray for revival. We desire revival in our church. We pray for revival corporately. And we also pray for revival when we're by ourselves, when we're at home. If you want revival in your life, it must be preceded by repentance. You can't have revival if you're holding on to your idols. You can't have revival if, we, if you will not let go of the world. And it says it here. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in, in your way. That, that, that must be our prayer, a two-folded prayer. Lord, I want revival, but also, Lord, I want to be turned away from looking at those things that are worthless that I should not be looking at. And we see here, in, when it comes to Joseph's sexual purity, there is a contrast from the previous chapter that we looked at last week as a church. Last week with, with Judah, what did he do when it came to sexual sin? He just gave in to it. He gave right in. He went looking for it. It's not like, like it came to him and, and came upon him and he just wasn't able to resist. He went looking for this sin. And now we have Joseph. And, and, and Joseph isn't looking for the sin. But the sin is constantly tempting him and, and coming to him. Joseph was not just tempted in this area. When you look at the text, he was severely tempted. Severely tempted. Many people would have, would have, would have given into the temptation. Way before Joseph gave into it. Many Old Testament saints failed in this area. Joseph's own brother, right, right before this chapter, there's Judah, giving into it. Another one of Joseph's brothers, Reuben, gave into his temptation. You, you look at Joseph's uncle, Esau. We don't see anything about, about sexual sin in his life in Genesis, but when you look at the Hebrew account, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12, it says he was a fornicator. And we see that we're like, well, yeah, he had no love for the Lord. He gave into the sin. And, and, and we see these, these accounts of men falling into this sin. So Joseph right here is, is a breath of fresh air, fresh air. He resisted this sin and the sin came to him again and again and again. And he resisted this sin. A young man who loved the Lord. A young man who wanted to serve the Lord. He was taken away from his father. He had nothing. He was put into slavery. Constantly tempted by this Woman, and I believe she was a beautiful woman, constantly tempted by this woman, all by himself. And he could have said, woe is me, 
I have nothing. Everything's taken away from me. Yes, I love the Lord, but this keeps coming. Her husband is, is away, and, and, and I, I need to give myself some kind of satisfaction. A, a, a lonely young man who loved his father, taken away from his father, and here's this woman saying, well, look, come just, just let me hold you. Come lie in my arms. Come sit here next to me. Come talk to me. A young man who needed companionship and didn't have it. And he resisted the temptation. This is encouraging for us, brothers and sisters. It's encouraging. What Joseph did was remarkable because he loved the Lord. Severely tempted. So what did Joseph do? The woman came straight out and she told him, lie with me. Look what Joseph did there in verses 8 and 9. It says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What did Joseph do? Well, first of all, he refused and then he reasoned with her. You think about the fact that he refused. When I was in public school, there was this model that they would tell us all, just say no. You all remember that? Just say no. Say no to drugs. Say no to drinking. Say say, say no to, to gangs. Say no to violence. Just say no. It's on our milk cartons. And they thought just just constantly, you know, putting that before our, our, our thoughts, it, it would work. Maybe to some it worked, but to others, to most, it didn't work. And it didn't work for me. Until I had a reason to say no. Until the Lord came into my life and I realized I wanted to honor God. I love the Lord. Until I started reading the scriptures and seeing there is a standard that I need to live according to. Not just because a teacher said no or because some celebrity said no. But Joseph had a reason to refuse. He had a reason to refuse Potiphar's wife. He refused because he respected his master. He mentions his master. We read in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29 in the ESV, it says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. So there, there is a sense when someone trusts you, we, we're not to take advantage of that trust. All the more, we shouldn't take advantage of those who, who, who dwell close to us and who, who trust us, who expect to be safe in that situation. But more than that, Joseph didn't want to disobey his God. Joseph told her, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So at first he refused her, and second, Joseph reasoned with her. And it's true, we can't reason with everybody, but we must at least try. Don't just write people off and say, well, that person is unreasonable. If if you haven't tried to reason with the person, start there. At least try. You may be surprised. God may grant repentance to the hardest of sinners. So start there. Try to reason with the person. If that doesn't work, as it didn't work for Joseph, well, then you need to continue to to resist the sin. Even the Lord resists or or reasons with sinners. Even the Lord God reasons with sinners. It says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord reasons with sinners. We should reason with sinners. They have a conscience, just like we all do. And look how persistent this temptation was. Look there in verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. This constant temptation... She wasn't just coming straight out and saying, hey, have sex with me. It it, it says to lie with her or to be with her. She was saying, Joseph, I I, I don't want anything from you. Just come and sit with me. Just talk to me. Tell me about tell me about your past life. What do you say about your father? I I, want to learn. Come come sit next to me. And he did not listen to her. He stayed away from her. He constantly refused her. Now, we can imagine the kind of temptation that our brother from long ago endured. Joseph, that he resisted. Another thing we see of Joseph, along with his refusal, his attempt to reason with her, 
It's also his continued avoidance of her. He constantly avoided her. He tried to reason with her by bringing up her husband. He tried to reason with her by bringing up the Lord. And none of of that worked to her. her. Her heart was so hardened. We read that finally... When no one was, no one else was in the house, probably that was her doing and making sure it was a time when no one else was in the house. The Bible says, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. It says, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Ephesians says that we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 22 says, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee from sin, but also pursue righteousness. And sometimes the best way that we can flee from sin is by pursuing righteousness. Setting your heart and your mind and your eyes upon the Lord rather than looking so hardly upon the sin that's making things so difficult for you. Look into the Lord. Look into His Word. Look into His ways. See what good you can do. See how you can serve others. Sometimes when we just get busy serving others, we forget about the problems we are enduring. We forget about the struggles we're going through when we make ourselves busy with serving others. The third area of Joseph's life. The third area of his life is personal holiness. Godliness in Joseph's life showed itself in his personal holiness. It showed itself in his work ethic. Then it showed itself in his sexual purity. Then it showed itself in his personal holiness. And I say that because of the four times that we see in the scriptures or in this chapter that the Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. The Lord was with them in a way not to chastise, not to discipline. The Lord was with them to bless him, to grant him success, to give him favor, to help him, to help him to endure temptation and trial. The Lord was with them in that way because of Joseph's personal holiness. We, we, we know that it's a fact that God chooses to bless those who he wants to bless. God chooses to work in people according to how he wants to work in them. God is not dependent upon us. And there is nothing in us that hinders God from doing his good pleasure in our lives. There is God does exactly what he wants. What, whatever pleases him, he does. Even if he needs to turn king's hearts however he wishes, according to God's ways so that God can bless us, so that God can work in us. The scriptures say that. God is not dependent upon us in any way. But at the same time, the scriptures say that God takes pleasure in working in those who trust Him, and working in those who obey Him, who serve Him, who love Him. Listen to Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong. That's what the Lord does. He shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Listen to Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Right here. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's what Joseph did. He was loyal to the Lord. He walked uprightly. And the fact that the Lord says at the beginning of when he got to, to be a slave there in Potiphar's house, <clears throat> when he was a slave there in Potiphar's house, it says the Lord was with him. Why? Well, because the Lord chose to be with him, because he wanted to be with him, but also because Joseph walked uprightly when he was with his father. When he was with his brothers, Joseph walked uprightly. He lands, he lands as a slave, the Lord is with him. Because he walked uprightly. Then Joseph ends up in prison. Again, we're told, we're reminded, the Lord is with them. Why? Well, because the Lord wanted to be with them, but also because Joseph walked uprightly when he was in Potiphar's house. Because he walked uprightly when he was being tempted and tried by Potiphar's wife. And Joseph continued to walk uprightly when he was there in prison. We see Joseph's personal holiness. We're familiar with the account in Second Chronicles chapter 26 about King Uzziah. Remember what it says about him, that the Lord, the Lord showed himself strong in King Uzziah's life. He had these military achievements. He had this great kingdom that he was building. And the Lord was there blessing him and taking care of them, him and helping him, King Uzziah. The Lord was there helping him until what happened? Do you remember what happened there in Second Chronicles 26? Uzziah got 
wise or got strong in his own eyes. He forgot that everything he had was because of the Lord's doing. He started thinking it was all because of what he did. He stopped looking to the Lord. He stopped trusting in the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord began to pull back. The Lord began to pull back into discipline and to chastise. Joseph never went there. Joseph continued to trust in the Lord. As the Lord continued to bless Joseph, the Lord kept continuing to, or as the Lord continued to bless Joseph, Joseph continued to trust in him. So because the Lord was with Joseph, all of those years, all 13 years, I would say, that's evidence to Joseph's personal holiness. He remained faithful to the Lord. And his brothers couldn't separate him from the presence of God in his life. Potiphar's wife couldn't separate him from the presence of God in his life. The prison couldn't do that. Slavery couldn't do that. So here the Lord is with Joseph. What does it look like? You know, when we think of this term, the Lord is with someone. Do we say, well, yeah, the Lord is with his people. The Lord is with his people. What does that mean? What does that look like? Is that just some kind of mystical phrase that we say that just sounds good and, and, and gives us goosebumps? Does it look like something? Did it look like something in Joseph's life? According to verse 2, the Lord being with Joseph, it looked like success. Success. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. The Lord in Joseph's life looked like success. We can define success in this way. Success in God's kingdom is the ability to walk with the Lord in obedience and to serve God with joy and the strength that he gives you, free from sin and free from emotional and spiritual bondage. I'll read it one more time. Success in God's kingdom is the ability to walk with the Lord in obedience and to serve God with joy and the strength that he gives you, free from sin and free from emotional and spiritual bondage. When I say free from sin, of course, I mean free from bondage to sin. Free from having to be given over to it time and time again. Where there, there is a freedom. Yes, fr- yes, yes, sin is in my flesh, but it doesn't reign over me. I'm free in Christ. And I experience the joy that Jesus Christ gives to me. That's what su- success is in God's kingdom. And Joseph could say with the Apostle Paul, I wish that you all were like I am, except for these chains. So we need to be careful as a church that we don't define success the way the world defines success. Because the church and the world define success differently. And we can fall into the trap. We can be so influenced by the world that we tend to define it in the same way. The prosperity gospel defines it in the same way as the world. But we as the the church must not define it the same way that the world defines success. For example, the world would have said that Potiphar was a successful man. Not Joseph. Potiphar was. If anyone successful was Potiphar, a respectable career as a high-ranking official, a lot of money in the bank, many servants under you, a large home, a beautiful wife. That's what Potiphar had. But he's not the one that the Lord was talking about when the Lord gave success. It, It was Joseph who was the successful one. Joseph, the young man who had no wife, no career, no money in the bank, taken from his homeland, taken from his family, and he was a slave. He was owned. He was the successful one. And by the way, Joseph would one day have all those things that Potiphar had, but he would have it God's way. But he was still successful even when he didn't have any of those things. So according to God's word, Joseph's success didn't require money, position, or esteem. As Christians, we can be successful without those things that the world says you must have if you're going to be successful. What else did it look like for the Lord to be with Joseph? It also looked like prosperity. Look at verse 3. It also says it in verse 23. But look at verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. For the Lord to be with Joseph, it looked like prosperity. We can see that when we look at Psalm 1, the first part of Psalm 1. 
That's what it looks like for the Christian to be experiencing the Lord's prosperity. In the beginning of Psalm 1, it talks about how he doesn't receive counsel from the ungodly. It says that the believer is like a tree planted by rivers or planted by streams of water. It says that he delights in the law. That's what it is to be prosperous. And ask any Christian who's in that place and experiencing that, ask him, are you prosperous? He'll say, oh yeah, I am. And I wish it was the same for you. I wish all of God's people knew this prosperity. Psalm 23, and Psalm 23, the psalmist talks about what it is to be prosperous. In Psalm 23, when he says he fears no evil, why does he fear no evil? It's, it's David, right? Why does David say that he fears no evil? Because he said he, he killed a lion, he killed a bear, he, he cut off Goliath's head. Is that why David feared no evil? What does it say in Psalm 23? For you are with me. That's why David feared no evil. Because the Lord was with him. A prosperous Christian is shown in Psalm 1, and a prosperous Christian is shown in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 talks about the believer who has the Lord as his shepherd. He has no want. He has no lack. His soul is restored. He is led in paths of righteousness. He fears no evil. Goodness and mercy follows him every day of his life. That's what true prosperity is like. That's what true success is like. And, and, and that's what we need as Christians. We need to have the Lord with us in these, in this kind of way. Look at Psalm chapter 16 verse 11. This is another passage. Psalm 16 verse 11. Is there someone that can read that? Someone with a, a good strong voice to read Psalm 16 verse 11? Stuart, can you read that? Psalm 16, verse 11. Yeah, Psalm 16, verse 11. This is what it's like for the Lord to be with His people. abundant joy, eternal pleasures. And that's what Joseph experienced as a slave. That's what he experienced when he was in prison. Abundant joy, eternal pleasures. What is it we're looking upon? Are we looking upon where he's at physically? Or are we looking at upon the fact that he has the Lord? And he, has, he had the presence of the Lord in his life. And when the Lord was with Joseph, it was also evident to his master. Look at verse 3 there. Verse 3 says that his master saw that the Lord was with him. When the Lord is with his people in this kind of way, we know the Lord is everywhere, right? We know the Lord is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. He's present everywhere. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the Lord being in Joseph's life in a way to bless him, to give him success, to give him prosperity, to give him favor, to help him in those things that he's doing. And we as Christians, we can at times find that we're running into a wall. Things are not working out. And that's where we need to take an evaluation. Is this just a trial the Lord's putting in my way and I just need to trust him through this? Or am I allowing some sin to rise in my heart? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there something that the Lord's trying to get my attention in? And we don't know what it is when we look at another person's life and we shouldn't judge in that way when we don't, under, when we don't know everything. But for our own lives... When we're running into problems, is this just an area where the Lord wants me to grow in and wants me to, to, to learn in? Or is there, do I need to repent here? So, the Lord was with Joseph in this special way. And it was seen by his master. And, and we see that in the text. His master, a pagan Egyptian. Sure, sure, it's not always going to be seen by those around. Sometimes people around us are so spiritually ignorant that they don't see the Lord's hand in our lives. Sometimes people around us may be so critical that they ignore the the Lord's hand in our lives and we need to be patient in those times. But it was seen by his master. When the Lord is working in a person, it will be seen by those around us usually. 
And then verse 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And and there's also some some great marriage advice in this chapter. There is. If if you're young here and and unmarried and you hope to be one day, there's great marriage advice in this chapter. Of course, not a whole lot of it, but there is some that, that we need to we need to take, and this is it. Who was Potiphar? We got, we're looking at Joseph and we see, we see Joseph's life, but we all see, we also see Potiphar. Who is this man Potiphar? The Bible tells us here that he was the captain of the guard. He was basically like the military commander of the Pharaoh, of the king of Egypt. He was a military commander. Potiphar would have been a no-nonsense kind of guy. He's a guy that would have eaten nice guys for lunch. This is Potiphar. You, you don't you don't mess with Potiphar. You don't cross him. You don't wrong him. Potiphar would have been intelligent, incredibly wealthy. He would have been competent in anything that the Pharaoh told him to do, that anything that Pharaoh needed. And and I think this man Potiphar, I think because the Lord the Bible says here that the Lord blessed him for Joseph's sake. I think that that means that Potiphar wasn't given to say excessive drunkenness. He wasn't given to excessive idolatry or any kind of some any kind of like obvious sin. We would have looked at this worldly man and said he's a pretty good guy. He was on top of his game, and the Lord the Lord blessed him for Joseph's sake, and he was able to recognize the good in in in, in Joseph. This was Potiphar. But who was this wife that she had? And as I said, this would have been a beautiful woman in the same way that any any rich person would have a beautiful wife in the same way that any major celebrity or major athlete would have a beautiful wife. This was a beautiful woman. But look how she was quick to blame him. Look there in verses 13 and 14. How she was quick to blame her husband when she was the one that was in sin. Starting in verse 13, and so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. She's blaming her husband right there. And she's and she, she's the rotten spouse in the marriage. Look at verse 17. Again, she blames her husband to his face. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. Again, blaming her husband. She had no love for him. She's trying to have an affair. She could have done this with other slaves previously. We, we don't know. And really, there's, there's not many things, uh, I'll tell you. There's not many things worse than an unfaithful spouse. When you hear about brothers and sisters who go through that. That is a very difficult time. That is a very difficult thing to experience. Betrayal by the one you've given yourself to till death do you part, for better or worse. And this is what he had. He had an unfaithful spouse. And when she's almost caught, she's lying, she's blaming Joseph for attempted rape, she's blaming her husband for bringing Joseph into the home, she's blaming everybody but herself but she's beautiful on the outside. That is not what you want. If you're unmarried, if you have a choice, do not go with the outward if the inward is not right, if the inward is not there, if the person is not godly, if the person is it d- does not love the Lord. It's not worth it. It's better to, to stay single all of your days than to marry someone like what Potiphar had. It's better to stay lonely Without a companion, if that's all, if that's all you have as a choice, it's better to wait upon the Lord. I'll say, marry someone like Joseph, a godly man, a good man. He was eventually given a wife. And I, I can tell you that was a happy woman. Wait on the Lord to give you someone like Joseph, a godly man or a godly woman. Young man, young woman, you don't want a marriage like what Potiphar had. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you can read it in the Proverbs, right? Doesn't matter how much money you have, how much stuff you have, it's not worth it. You have a miserable life. 
And if Potiphar actually believed his wife and what she said, he would have killed Joseph rather, rather than just throwing him into the prison. And it says it's a certain kind of prison where the king's prisoners were confined. A certain kind of prison. Of course, the Lord worked that all out because the Lord's getting him to be closer to Pharaoh, closer to being second in command in all of Egypt. But Joseph doesn't know that yet. No one else knows that. <clears throat> so we can see there's there, there's these are troublesome times for Joseph. There's a big difference between chapters 37 and then now we're at chapter 39. A big difference. Joseph went from being with his father, ha- having a good life, having some level of authority over his brothers, and he wasn't even the oldest, to where he's taken from that. He's now a slave, and in place of his father is this stranger, this pagan Egyptian official. And we can we can ask ourselves, how would we have responded if that happened to us? You know, they say we're like lemons. When we're squeezed, whatever's on the inside always comes out. And we saw Joseph squeezed right here, and good came out. Let's go ahead and wrap up. I just want to close with this. These four times that we see that the Lord was with Joseph, we are to take them as bookends. As bookends. Not just as bookends to this chapter. We see it twice when he got to to be a slavery in Potiphar's house, and then we see it twice when he ends up in, 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 in prison. But these are not bookends only. They are bookends to the chapter, but that's not all. They are bookends to this time of Joseph's life. These 13 years, I think the majority of Joseph's 13 years he spent as a slave before he got to prison. And then we know there was at least two years in prison because he told the, the butler and the baker about their dreams. And then he told, the, I think it was the baker, to remember him. And then he forgot about him. And two years later was when, when, when Pharaoh had that dream and he was, he was brought out of prison and, and he, to, he told the answer to the dream and then now he's out of prison. So at least a couple years he spent in prison probably a little bit more than that, but he spent the majority of his 13 years as a slave to Potiphar. And the bookends to that time of Joseph's life, these 13 difficult years of Joseph's life, the Lord wants us to remember that the Lord was with them during those times. And that's the way it is with all of us. Christian, in the most difficult times of your life, the Lord is with you. In the greatest trial that you experience, in the trial that you experience that you think, this is bad, This is difficult. This is something that would cause anyone else to fall away from the Lord. But by God's grace, I'm holding on. And in those times, we need to know, as we saw with Joseph here, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with his people to bless, to help, to encourage, to strengthen, to keep you from letting go of him, to keep you trusting in him, to keep you resisting temptation. No matter how strong that temptation is, the Lord is with you. These are bookends in this difficult time in Joseph's life. And and that's the way it is for every one of us. And that encourages me. And I hope that encourages you. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for...